All right. Well, hey, guys, welcome to this edition of Real Live Talk. I hope that the content today blesses you, challenges you, makes you think or somehow adds value to your life. And uh, join me in welcoming my guest for today. Uh, Brian Sanders is the founder and former executive director of the Underground Network, which is an international fellowship of microchurch incubators creating city-based ecosystems of faith, creativity, and empowered social enterprise. As a social entrepreneur, Brian has helped hundreds of missionary, uh, missionary enterprises around the world, including churches, businesses, and nonprofits. He's also written some books that we'll talk about today on the podcast, and those books include Micro Churches, and uh, I believe the, his newest book, The Six Seasons of Calling. Uh, Brian, thanks for joining me today, my friend. It's uh, really a privilege to meet you, first of all, and an honor to chat with you today. So welcome to Real Life Talk. Thanks, man. I just want you to know, I couldn't hear a word you were saying just now. I was like totally muted. And I was like, oh, what's going on? And then I, as soon as I, as soon as I switched the speaker and I could start, I could hear you it was the end of my bio. So was, I'm very delighted to have missed my own bio. That's not something Good. you ever really, you really want to hear twice, you know? Good. Okay. Yeah, no, Perfect I time. get it. I get it. And uh, there, there's times where I just kind of start into the conversation because I feel like that whole part at the beginning is a little bit awkward where I'm talking about you and you're right there. And I don't really love it. It's not my favorite thing. But uh, but yeah, sometimes when I when I'm talking with someone who I'm just meeting for the first time, I like to uh, show the honor by by doing the bio. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> So that's cool. That works for me that you couldn't hear it. That's super cool. It could be, well, it could be like a pro anyway? tip. It could be a pro tip for the future. Just mute, mute during the bio and then come in at the end. Anyway. I love it. Or I could do one of these numbers where it's just me on the screen. There you go. And then I bring you up. I could get all fancy with it and stuff like that. But uh, I always forget. I always forget to use the features that I have. But but anyway, man, yeah, thanks for joining me. And um, just how are you? How are you? How's life? How's the family? What's going on? Yeah, good. Uh, we have a lot, of, a lot of things going on, a lot of projects. So that probably is my happiest, you know, when I feel um, that energy, a lot of cool things happening. And God is yeah. in, in that stuff. Not that it's not good to also do nothing sometimes, but I'm probably not great at that. So yeah, I'm well. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I feel like uh, I'm not very good at at not doing anything either. I get that completely. Um, well, you know, I gave a kind of a very brief synopsis, which you couldn't hear, which again is cool of, uh, of who you are and what you do and stuff like that. But I'd love to kind of hear from you a little bit about what you're doing currently. And then I'd like to kind of back up and talk a little bit um, more about the underground and the concept of the micro church. And I'm really, really fascinated about this uh, personally as uh, a church planter. Currently, I'm, I'm in the, in, involved in different levels, different capacities, but involved in a few different church plants right now. And uh, particularly my, my family and I were moving to a new city within the next 30 days or so to uh, really uh, begin a new church plant in uh, the Houston area. And so I've been a lot of the stuff that I've been reading about in your in your writing are things that are really resonating with me on a personal level. And it's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you today. But before we kind of jump into some of the specifics on that, I'd love if you could just share a brief synopsis, a little bit about who you are and uh, what you do. Um, 
Sure. Yeah. I mean, right now, so since, since leaving my kind of role with the underground, of course, I'm still part of the underground. I still sit on the board. I still lead a microchurch. Um, you know, I still, I still am a vital part of the community here, but of course the underground's become this bigger network of friends and sister movements around the world. But, you know, leaving that maybe to a younger team and and entrusting so so that whole process of like founder syndrome and letting go and that how just how actually wonderful and healthy and beautiful that whole process can be and then for me i think there's sort of three big meta skills for the 21st century leader and one of them is collaboration is actually i feel like a part of the economy you know, you could look at you could look at like after World War II, you have a you know what could be called the producer economy in an industrial age, and then into like the seventies, eighties, what you, what Paul Sappho has called a consumer economy, which mm. gives way, he says in two thousand seven, to a creator economy. You know, people want to make something now; they don't just want right. to buy stuff; they want to define themselves by what they make. But I would say that we're we're quickly moving into what I would call collaboration economy. So this is this is maybe coming or on its way or we're on the we're on the kind of threshold or precipice of. So I think I always want to be there. I always want to be maybe a couple of steps ahead. And so I've taken a role with the National Christian Foundation to help work specialize really in collective impact, cross-organizational collaboration. You know, how do how do we get 50 organizations in the city come like dealing with the same state social problem like homelessness or you know mm. foster care and adoption or uh, anti-human trafficking or something like that get them all to actually work from the same plan raise money together trust each other um create complex strategy together stuff like that so to me it feels like a cutting edge thing so i'm working with the foundation doing that and then i also have a big stake working in uh, uh just a co-working company that's going national called Cohatch, which is this beautiful little ecosystem of collaboration. And, and they, they just, they're just, they just build incredibly beautiful spaces. So I'm helping them come into Florida. And I see a lot of overlap between decentralized church planning, which I know we'll probably talk about Mm. micro churches and businesses like that who create mixed economy spaces where you have people of faith, people that don't have faith, for-profit not for-profit mm. all kind of you know colliding with each other working together working side by side i really love that idea so i'm i'm working pretty closely in helping that that company come to florida so those are the two big projects i'm working on now that's incredible what you're talking about there with the sort of bridging those gaps or creating those bridges between different kinds of social enterprise and things of that nature, right? You're talking about um, connecting people and resources and things of that nature. That sounds incredible. It also sounds incredibly challenging. I would imagine that, I mean, what, what does that, what does that look like if, if you can, I'm sure it's, that's probably a hard question to answer because I'm sure it's different in different scenarios, but if you can just kind of give a, an idea of what that kind of looks like as far as how you even start to, have those is it having conversations with leaders and boards and stuff like that or what what does it look like as far as even just getting the ball rolling on kind of creating some of those bridges 
Yeah, and you're right. It is hard. That's why people don't do it. Um, I also think, or when we try it, it usually doesn't work. You know, it usually fails right. in some way. Right. Or, or our our attempt is just too pedestrian. You know, we just say, let's just get together and pray once a year or something like that. Gotcha. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like to really actually pull in the same direction to share resources that requires a level of trust and communication we're just not familiar with. Because the truth is, a 20th century you know, motif approach to leadership is really about built on the idea of competition and empire building and, you know, what Chan Kim would call red oceans, you know, like it's just full of blood. So it's like contested market space. So even churches coming into a city or something like that, it's like, do they really see other churches as their, their co-belligerents in some greater cause? Uh, mm. Or actually are they, they kind of comp competition? And nobody would say that. No one really deep in their heart feels that or theologically is committed to the idea that another church is my competitor. But they are, you know, and, and if you think if you think like a consumer, if you think like a marketeer, right, you're thinking mm -hmm. this is contested market. We're, we're all going for the same people, you know. So you have to break that down. I mean, somehow you've got to get to people's um, deeper core idea. You know that why am i doing this like for the kingdom of god or for orphans or to end trafficking or for the cause of life or whatever the cause is where people actually deep deep down the reason why they got into it was to solve some impossible problem but you know you're you're 20 years in 10 years in 30 years in and you just realize we're never gonna our our organization is never gonna solve this problem which is enough to me it's it i'm discovering as another uh, sort of condition that has to exist before collaboration is possible, which is people have to come to the point where they realize we cannot do this on our own. And mm. that can take some time too, because we are full of pride and hubris. And we've been told this great man myth that you're going to start, like you're going to start a church and it's, it's going to reach the whole city, or you're going to start an agency and it's going to solve this problem. That's how we raise money. That's how we, that's how yeah. we recruit, recruit staff. That's what we actually believe. Like you're young enough to think we could do, we'll be the ones that finally crack this code and solve this problem. And of course, if you go at it long enough, you finally come to the point you go, and you don't quit. So you stay at it long enough. You're still in the game, but you go, there's just no way. Those are the mm. people that will come to the table. Mm. And, and then you need a neutral convener. You know, you need somebody who isn't one of those players. So the, our, like the National Christian Foundation is a great convener for that because we don't do any of those things. And so, and money. So if you can have a lead giver, I think that's another factor. If you can have um, like a philanthropist that's involved uh, early on, that's saying, I want to, I want to help solve the problem. I want to, I want to put serious money behind collaboration. And if you guys mm. will work together and you'll come up with a great idea, I'll back it, you know, with money. That helps a lot. <laughs> that sure. helps get people in the room and gets people moving. So there's a lot of little, uh, you know, parts of the recipe, I guess. Wow. You know, some of those things that you mentioned, like you, you mentioned specifically human trafficking, you mentioned adoption and foster care, which right now uh, in our coming years is, um, it, well, it's already a, a huge problem, you know, over 500,000, um, you know, kids in our foster care system um, over I, the last number that I heard from a friend of mine who's who's very much um, you know involved in advocacy for foster care and things like that. It's somewhere in the ballpark of 125,000 kids that are in the foster care system that are 
um, completely approved for adoption, uh, that are cleared for adoption. And with these, uh, with the law that was recently passed or the turning back of Roe versus Wade, um, it seems like our, seems to me like in the coming, you know, decade or so that our, assuming things stay the way that they are, um, that our adoption system, foster care system in this country is going to be bursting at the seams in an even greater way. And I've been thinking about this so much, like if anybody needs to get involved and to help with this and not be in a position of pointing fingers and, oh, you shouldn't have done that and blah, blah, blah. It needs to be the church. I feel like leading and the capital C church, the people of God leading this charge on, you know what, let's come around our communities and our societies, embrace our communities, embrace our em embrace people, right? Like embrace individuals and find a way to, as you're saying, collaborate together, find creative ways, creative solutions where we can collaborate together to actually make an impact where we're not just preaching about it. We're not just talking about it. I feel like, you know, what you said there about uh, like, OK, we're going to get together once a year and we're going to pray together and we're going to do that. And we kind of do these things that make us feel like we're checking some kind of a box. But when it comes to these major social issues like human trafficking and uh, and uh, foster care and adoption, and I would put in their addiction and I would put in their mental health. And there's a lot of things that are really plaguing people today in really, you know, in the case of human trafficking, really, really sinister ways that I don't think we talk about it enough and very, very much less. I don't think we actually find ways to actually get involved, like grassroots, like let's do something. Let's just collaborate and do something about this. That's something that it's it's constantly in my mind. I'm constantly thinking about it. And, and, and I don't always know what to do. I don't always know how to respond. And I think what you're saying there, that, that this piece of collaborating together is really essential if we're going to actually see breakthrough in these areas and not just put little band-aids and not just talk about how we can do or we should be doing or let's do something or whatever. You know what I mean? Like almost like I feel like a lot of times with these conversations that are really, really important. And, and I don't know. I don't know what you think. And, and um I, do, you, do you feel like that's accurate, that it should be the church in terms of it should be the people of God kind of being the solution to these challenges that we see? Not 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 in opposition to maybe secular groups or governments yeah. or anything like that, but the people of God kind of coming around and embracing our communities in this way where we're willing to collaborate with with others and things like that. I'm not sure if I'm asking a question or if I'm rambling, but no, yeah, I understand. I, I so so I just I just completed uh, like a, what what was a 12 month process with three different alliance teams. Um, so to the, like the creme de la creme, the best thinkers within yeah. those those communities to do what what we have called like a complex plan. So essentially, you have you can't just it's not like an organizational strategic plan where you say, what can, our, what can our church, our organization, our company do in the next three to five years? Mm -hmm. If you're trying to like end human trafficking, there's not one pathway. You have to deal with like a lot of conflating issues, right? A lot of conflating social issues. That, that's what makes a problem complex. Yes. So, so what, what, we, what we did was essentially say, one of the first things you, you try to figure out is what are all the forces and factors contributing to this current condition? And so you have to pull all that apart. So we're talking like 400 man hours per plan, right? So it's a lot of work. It's a lot of thinking. It's a lot of focus groups. It's a lot of kind of consolidating ideas. Mm. And in the end, you come up with these, each, each, each community came up with like 
six to seven, five to seven kind of contributing factors. Like these things, these are the massive contributing factors to why this problem exists. And if we wanted to change the problem, we'd have to address them all, right? All these contributing factors. Mm -hmm. And then what we do is we, we sequence them. So we say, okay, which would you deal with first? Which would you deal with second? Which would you deal with third, right? All three of these, so foster care adoption, anti-human trafficking, and the pro-life uh, kind of mm. community, you know, pregnancy medical centers, those kind of folks, all of them identified as a key contributing factor to why this problem exists was the disengagement of the church. Mm. And, then, and then interestingly wow. enough, they all said that the first thing we should deal with is the church. So uh, uh, disconnect from each other. They didn't, they didn't know, nobody, none of them were involved in any other than the one process they were a part of. And they all came to the conclusion that actually the first thing we would put money in, the first thing we would want to create collaboration around, the first problem we would have to solve is like the in, inactivity of the church around this issue. Wow. So, so wow. Uh, all I'm saying is that's that's obviously not a huge sample size, but it's a but it's a profound discovery for me. Result, yeah. That yeah. you know we 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 see the church in our in our in our our deepest hopes in in our, in our like dreams for the world as something really powerful, really important, mm. really really like a lever somehow that moves the world, a lever long enough that can move any problem. And yet we have this deep sense of disappointment about it that we're all managing in our own psyche that it isn't there it isn't what it mm. should be it isn't what it could be but we all know that if there ever was going to be an end to certain kinds of social evils the church just it feels like the church should would have to be a part of it now maybe right. maybe maybe not maybe, maybe there's other ways around it but but all, all to say i think you you might be right and um and of course when we think about you know, this, this sort of parallel discussion about microchurches and decentralized church and, and giving the church back to ordinary people. Um, you know, to me, that's the idea is, is that yeah. to, wake, to wake that sleeping giant, it, it's not just engaging these sort of big churches with, with, with larger than life leaders and getting mm -hmm. them engaged in the problem, but it's like actually waking up the rank and file, the, the lay yeah. normal person, you know? Wow. You made a statement in your book, micro churches, and uh, this might not be verbatim, but you know, I think I'm capturing the heart of what you were getting at. And it's that we have to stop looking at the church as something for people to be invited into. Um, and instead to look at the church, to look at the people of God as something that is, you said blessed to be broken and given to the world. Um, could you, cause I feel like this connects and this is kind of a good segue into the conversation on, on micro church and things like that. But uh, I feel like this, this really um, connects and embodies a lot of what you're saying here. And so uh, that, that phrase of the, the people of God and the, the church, the, the church needs to be, we, we have to understand that we are, we're not we're not like just staying inside the the goal is not for us to stay inside our four four walls and be like hey if you want to get free if you want to get saved if you want to get touched if you want to get transformed you got to come in here you've got you've got you've got to come in 
and then we're gonna we're gonna give it to you right it's no we're we're blessed to be broken and given to the world in other words we have strategic responsibility i think we have strategic opportunity that god gives to us to impact our community to impact our society whether it's like the the one person on the street corner that you have an opportunity to talk to or the person you you talk to in the line for coffee or maybe in a larger capacity you know whatever whatever it is whatever it looks like however it's expressed but to stop looking at at this thing as as the church is this place where it's kind of in many many cases and and just speaking in generalities it's not across the board but in many many cases we have kind of like a religious club and the only way that people are going to hear the good news is if they come in and it's great when they come in and hear the good news it's great but that's not where most people live. Most people live in, in life, in community, in society. And God has sent us out into this world as ambassadors of his world to disciple. And not all discipleship takes place inside the four walls of the church. It just doesn't. And I think we need to learn that. And so anyway, um, would you kind of elaborate on that statement there on, you know, rather than just our perspective being you got to come to church, like, no, let's be the church in the in the world as God has sent us out into the world. I mean, I, I think that I think that sentence uh, is a, a sort of an allusion to communion. You know that um, on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and yeah, broke it, gave it to his disciples, and said, "Eat this. This is my body, which is broken for you." So he blesses the bread. He breaks the bread as a symbol of. I mean, the incarnation, the cross, and then he gives it to them. He says, eat it to remember me. And then, you know, it's in that in that section from, from Paul where he says, you know, whenever you do this, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That somehow there's even mission in communion. Like somehow the, mm. the, the blessing of the bread, the breaking of the bread, and the, the distribution into the world. And this is the body of Christ. The body of Christ is not meant is meant to be broken, blessed, broken, and given to the world. Of course, that's true for, um, you know, the the cross, the work of the cross. But it's also probably true for the incarnated church, like the we are His body, supposedly, mm. and so we are blessed, and we are also broken. And we are meant to be given away to the world, like sent out into the world. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think you said it perfectly well. Um, it's probably, I don't know, a conversion that we all have to go through. Not just a conversion to Jesus, to believe in Jesus, but a conversion to actually love the world, to be sent mm. somehow. Like like that, That's good. That, trans yeah. that transition between a disciple and an apostle you know like where they're called so when jesus calls the disciples i i'm pretty sure that the the transaction was come and follow me like you get to be my student and they're all like yeah dude uh, that sounds amazing <laughs> like we heard we've heard all about you you know you are yeah. the real deal and then to be his student to walk around with them and to see what he did and what he said and just how he carried himself and this like the authority that he walked in it must have been like, dude, we, we made the right choice, you know, mm. but then there's a moment, even in the gospel narratives where they stop being called disciples and they start being called apostles. 
the 12 disciples become i don't know when and how exactly but they become the 12 apostles right and and then in the birth of the church which is which is that's the era we're in is that we're meant to to be apostles so we make disciples but disciples are meant to become apostles and of course there's nothing there's nothing mysterious about that word it's just a greek uh rendering of mission missionary um Mm. you know latin missio in latin is the word to be sent apostolo in greek is the word to be sent so it's just like you go from like i came to you which is to your point you come into church to be discipled but then somewhere along the line when you're becoming a disciple you realize i'm actually supposed to be given to the world this is what this is the one Mm. i follow this is what he did so i have to go i've come to learn that i have to go and that that actually our identity is like changed of course we never stop being a learner we never stop being a student sure. of jesus a disciple but you you begin to understand actually i've been sent i've been sent to the world hmm. although you can discover that in a generalized sense but and maybe this is this is another direction we can take this conversation but if you don't know where you are sent then i would say you're like an unactivated missionary unactivated apostle and i think that's another major problem that we have in our time is that more and more people are agreeing with what we're talking about right now that of course the church is meant to be missionary and and they even see themselves as a missionary person but they can't tell you to whom they've been sent where they're Mm. sent to the people they've been sent and so effectively they're off the board they're out of the game and so that's that's Mm. where to me the idea of calling comes in and clarity on our calling which would have been a, that is to me, that's a very like pivotal, almost the fulcrum of this whole idea of missionary church or micro churches or dispersed church or decentralized church. Right there in the fulcrum of that whole discussion is, but if you can't tell me who you are called to, where you are sent, it doesn't work. It's just an idea. Yeah. N- none of it works if the, if the sort of ordinary disciple Christian person can say i know exactly who god has sent me to wow wow yeah so on that let's let's get into some specifics on first of all just understanding what micro church is what what that concept is about and maybe i don't know you you well you're the expert here but <laughs> but maybe the best way to get into that is to talk a little bit about the underground network and uh, how that was started and, and kind of to see what that looks like because that obviously gives us a very a real picture of what micro church looks like or can look like. Well, it's interesting because I think micro church is really the starting point. It's, it's basically this belief that, well, what's the simplest sort of iteration of the church? What's the simplest mm. version or expression of the yeah. church? We say if we, if we, the ecclesial minimum, if you stripped away, uh-huh. like, do you need a building? You know, do you need uh, a parking lot? You know, do you need money? To be a church and, and most of us would say well no not really no i mean it'd be nice but no yeah <laughs> and whatever you whatever you get down do you need leadership you know do you need a pastor to be a church do you mm. need do you need elders to be a church like you keep asking the question until you get to your minimum now yours might be different than mine a listener maybe have their own sure but you have an answer to that question like the very last the six things or four things or two things or whatever that if if you if you don't have these things you're not the church but if you do you are 
that to me is the idea of microchurch. And once you once you come to that ecclesial minimum, that's simplistic, the you know, in business terms, what you call the minimum viable product. Once you know what mm. your minimum viable product is, then you start realizing, well, uh, more people could do that than just professional clergy, you know, in big buildings. Uh, so for us in the underground, it was it was this this conviction that when worship like the Lordship of Jesus, community, real relationship with believers and mission, some way expanding the kingdom of God into like light into darkness somewhere. Mm -hmm. When those three things are happening in the same place with the same group of people, you're looking at the church. So mm -hmm. that, that was it for us, that, that sort of tripartite definition of the church. And then we said, well, that's pretty small, right? That doesn't, that doesn't need, like that could be in a laundromat, that could be in a uh, company break room, that can be on a softball field, that can be in a mm -hmm. pub, that can be that could be in a school that could that could be under a tree that could that could be in a house that could be anywhere right that could be on a block now it could be it could be much bigger than that but it could also be really small so that simple definition of the church then suddenly releases everything it changes it changes mm. everything about okay well who could lead it well you don't have to go to seminary to do that out of your living room or your break room or in the softball pitch or field or whatever so all of a sudden, we all now it's the, the activation of the priesthood of all believers again, which was, should have been a seminal idea for any Protestant person, but somehow got mm. lost. And right. And and so realizing, OK, fine, then we, we actually have a lot more churches. We could have a lot more churches than we realize. We could have even even within a small congregation of three, four hundred people, you could have a hundred microchurches potentially, you know. So then. All right. Well, then then what should the infrastructure of the church look like to support that? If you really believe that was true and possible, what would it look like to support that? So the underground is really an attempt to answer that question, an attempt an to experiment, create, right? Yes. Yeah, an experiment Pretty in much. creating a comprehensive ecclesiological, ecclesiological structure for microchurches. So what, you know, what in kind of whatever 20, 21st century, um, you know, parlance would be networks you know everything is being redistributed power is being redistributed in networks communication is being redistributed in networks technology is being redistributed in networks and i think the church is being reconceived as a network and so if you think of if you think of actually instead of a congregation if you think of a network of churches or a network of, of small mm -hmm. micro churches you just need new you need new everything you need new leadership titles you need new ways of raising money you need new ways of using physical plant you need new new expectations for for ordination you i mean so the underground in, in, you know to, to simplify it is an attempt to answer all of those questions and to create a structure and approach that works for that starting point you know that, okay. that everyone is called into mission somewhere and everyone can plant a church and then what do you do when you have loads of them how do you network them together how do you how do you mm. how do you have accountability how do you have you know biblical commitment how do you have covenant how do you have uh you know um concern for orthodoxy uh how do you look out for for abuse and so on those are all questions that you have to answer. Uh, yeah, and so sure. we did. So we tried and it's, it's far from perfect and it's an early iteration. You know, I, I think of like, um, 
I, well, I think of like Netscape Navigator. I don't know if you remember that. You're probably not old enough. I remember that, it. Like, yeah. You know, the, the one of the first web browsers is like pretty cool. You can get on the web, but like that doesn't exist anymore. And it's if you looked at it now, you'd be like, this is garbage. But it was an early iteration that we could build on. You know, and all, right. all the other web browsers that exist now started there. That's how I see the underground. It's like a, an attempt to try to take a shot at that. And then people like you <clears throat> who are going to church plant now, smarter people than me are going to be able to like improve upon that you know live in it figure out its flaws do it better do it better but the basic starting proposition is different when you say everybody can plant a church everyone can have their hands in creating the church mm. somewhere and that mission yeah. is an essential definition of that so you can't actually be the church if you don't have a sense of where you're sent if you don't know to whom god has sent you I have so many questions. Sorry, yeah, <laughs> I have so many questions. No, man, no, it's awesome. I appreciate you sharing. Uh, one thing, so just just talking about your experience with with the the uh, underground network, which was birthed in Tampa, right? Mm -hmm. And it would you is the majority of it in Tampa, or ha has it expanded beyond? Because I I I believe it's it's even international, right? Is that correct? There's, or is the underground pretty much specifically in the Tampa area or how, what does that look like? Yeah. So, I mean, we, early on, we made the decision that we did not want to franchise or, you know, move our name around. So there are a few little sister movements around the play, the world that, that took our name. Uh, but we, we've since yeah. changed our mind about that and thought, no, 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 actually, Part of what it would mean to be underground is you you have to be your own thing. You like there is no wow. like context is everything. So and okay. we just we just we just don't have the the capacity. We're not big enough. We're not smart enough to preside over some sort of empire and audit it all. So instead, what we thought was it's an idea. It belongs to the people of God. You know, I had this I had this thought, Duke, early on because I I had. The, you know, kind of first 10, 12 years of my, my professional life was connected to the university. So I have this idea like in academics where you, you, you have a hypothesis or a thesis, you go test that, you do some research, you go into a laboratory, you experiment, and then you get some findings, you know, like maybe, maybe your thesis is proved true, maybe it's proved false, your hypothesis is true, it's false, it's partly true, whatever. And then you publish those results, right? So that, that was what the underground was. It was an, essentially, I thought, and, and early on, I said, well, we're going to take 10 years here. We're going we're gonna to take a decade. We're going to try out our ideas, these hypo this hypothesis. And then at the end of that 10 years, we're going to report on that research. So I wrote a book in 2017 called Underground Church, which is essentially that report, which what I thought was like, okay, this belongs to the academy. Like this information belongs to the people, God, the church, to know where we blew it where our ideas were good, where they were not good, where they were mediocre in between. It's like we pulled away from the church for a decade to just do something different, but then came back into the into the kind of broader church by saying, okay, here's what we, here's what we discovered. Uh, here's what we found out. And I think to me that's that's been a part of it too, is just sharing our story with the world. And then I'll, I'll tell you what happens. One, some people go, that's amazing. I want to try that. But more often than not, what happens is people go, that's what I already think. They'll, they'll say, 
that's right. what I've been. That's what I've been right. doing. That's what I've been yeah. thinking. So I'm, I meet people in Austria or Singapore, or New mm -hmm. Zealand, or 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 Nepal or Denmark or, and I'm not saying this hypothetically. I'm telling you this. It's like everywhere I go, I yeah. meet people that go. That's what I was. That's what we were saying. Mm -hmm. You know, and and maybe we're a few steps ahead, or maybe we've codified the language a little bit better, and so there's a there's a like an immediate recognition, which of course that's just prophetic. That that means that God is trying to speak to His people at the same time, saying the same thing. So we're not right. right. We're not we're not inventing something, right? We're just we're just trying to hear the same thing, trying to hear the same God speak to us. Um, and so what what has happened with the underground is we just create these relationships. So we have friendships with people all over the world that said that's what we want too. That's what we're trying to do. Uh, and so there's no. There's no franchise to buy. There's just relationship to have and sh and learning to share. And it, it is a pretty awesome. I mean, there's probably there's probably a hundred cities around the world that are related to us in some way, and that's been pretty hmm. amazing. And who wants to control anyway? This the the whole the folly of control. You know that you you would create something in order to control it is just it's just a poisonous idea. And actually, it's like if my sons or my daughters wanted to go into church ministry I, I and 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 they said i want to build some big empire i, I would just say you, you should you should not go into ministry at all you know i i just think it's a dangerous yeah, game right controls a right. dangerous game for you <laughs> like it's gonna it's gonna ruin you actually yeah uh, not yeah. to mention the fact it's probably not great for others but <clears throat> anyway yeah no, and, and I resonate with that as well, what you were saying there about people all around the world, like, oh, yeah, that's what I was thinking. It's, it's like as I'm reading the book and or you're, you know, reading your books, I'm actually reading a couple of your books at the same time, kind of reading them and and seeing the, the concepts here. I'm like, you know, like this is a lot of this stuff is so in line with with my thoughts. You know, I've, I've given a lot of thought to this and just the way that we the way that we do church and, and my 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 goal is always to be like to find what's actually effective you know what's actually going to be effective and for me i i don't know i've just been rethinking a lot of things you know i grew up i was a uh, uh, grew up in the youth groups and stuff like that and we'd go to these youth conferences and i loved them you know youth like these you know kind of big stadium type situations this is just an example and i and i loved it my life was always impacted uh, but usually my life would be impacted for that week or the next couple weeks. And then I would kind of settle back into the way things were before. I know that not everybody has that story. Some people get impacted by an event or something like that. And then their life is totally different and they're, you know, whatever. But what I would find is I, I feel like a lot of, let me say it like this. I feel like a lot of what we do in the church is like highs and lows, you know, like we do we do something, we do an event or we do something to kind of create some kind of momentum that I don't know. Like, I just wonder, I, I just, I just re I'm, I'm trying to rethink a lot of things about the way that we do church and the way that we build community and the way that we are really impacting the lives of people, the lives of the people that are coming in and the lives of the people that are around us in our neighborhoods and our communities and our cities. And, you know, how can we really be, as impactful as possible where we're not just creating good vibes and putting band-aids on things, but we're actually making a true lasting impact. 
And the way that you describe, you know, the, the micro church, it's so missional focused that there's, there's real, like, you know what you're doing, you know what you're about. And I think that we can just very easily get lost in the, in a large, you know, church setting or even a smaller church setting, but where there's not a clearly defined mission or clearly defined focus. And so what I'm, what I'm wondering is because as I, as I'm reading your book and I don't want to misrepresent what you're any, anything. So tell you know, correct me if you think that my thinking is off base, but it seems to me that at least to an extent, we should be able to take the principles that you're discussing in the micro church concept and maybe apply them to even like a, a larger community. I, I don't know if that's possible. I guess what I'm wondering is, is micro church scalable or will we inevitably lose something in the process if we, you know, let's say we start, we start small, and this is kind of a multi-pronged question. My first question, if we're starting small, just, just for you and for your experience so far with, uh, in the past with the underground, how big do you allow things to grow? Do you allow them to devolve naturally, to evolve, excuse me, naturally? Or does there come a point where you're like, okay, this is, <laughs> this is the limit. Let's kind of break this off and start a community somewhere else. Or do you let it just kind of keep growing organically or does it depend on the situation? And then uh, I guess the sort of follow-up question to that is if that's the case and we allow these communities to continue to grow, how do we continue to maintain that missional focus and community aspect as we are scaling up in terms of numbers? Took me a long time to get to the question, but no, yeah, it's great. I and mean, there's a yeah. lot of obviously that's thoughtful. Um, yeah, of course, microchurches are scalable. In fact, um, well, and I make the argument in my in the book, microchurches, that the majority of churches in the world for all time were less than 100 people. So if we just mm. if you just talk statistics, yes. you know, like. If, you, if you're like an alien and you looked at, down at the earth and said, what's a church and how big is it? It's less than 100 people. Like that's how the yeah. church organizes itself. So because we have examples that are outliers, statistical outliers, so very big and, you know, 1,000 people to 10,000 people iterations of the church. And because all those are the ones that get all the attention. Those are the ones that write all the books. Those are the ones that, right. that we, we've come to believe that actually – the smaller version of the church is some, something's wrong with it, you know, like some, like mm. inferior or something, a little Napoleon complex or something going around saying <laughs> we we need to do better, you know, we need to wow. reach people more or something. But you know, if you if you really believed in the sovereignty of God, like God is not impotent in the construction and distribution of His church for the last two millennia. <laughs> So pull back for a second and say, we just haven't done a total rubbish job at this. It's all our fault. You know, God's up there shaking his head, looking at the angels going, hmm. God, I gave him this church idea and they really screwed it up, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> really ran that into the ground, guys. Yeah, boy, geez, <laughs> what a disappointment they are, you know? If, if we believe that he's a, like a player, you know, in the, the construction, then, then you pull back for a second and say, okay, well, then what are we looking at? You know, if we're looking at all these just little... 70 person 50 person things all over the world all over time you know then you suddenly start to see the strength of it actually you start to see the mm -hmm. well in biology what's called a super organism 
you know, like super organisms are like cities or ant colonies or something. They just can't mm. be destroyed. Like it's very hard to destroy a city. Um, hmm. Like you can, you can blow up one section of it or kill the waterworks. It just finds a way to heal itself. It finds a way to fix itself, you know, because it's a lot of little independent agents, you know, that yeah. can't, that aren't really controlled by anything, but they sort of work together in an ecosystem. And if you think of the church like that, you start to realize, oh my gosh, this is pr probably the most powerful social organization in the history of humanity. Like it's the most resilient, adaptable, yeah, adaptable. Yeah. Like mm -hmm. it can go anywhere. It can speak any language. It can approach wow. any kind of person. You know, it can be like a biker club or, or, a, or, a, or, a, you know, Papua New Guinea tribe or, a, or, a, right. you know, set of wall street bankers like you can have a church anywhere with yeah. any kind of people uh and it finds a way to sort of contextualize itself and jesus now there's lots of messed up stuff and a lot of perversion of truth and whatever but you also see like a thread of orthodoxy in every context every place mm. every people every tongue every tribe every language so is it scalable? Absolutely. As long as we're not trying to control it. And I think one of the, one of the challenges for the American sensibility in terms of church planting is like, yeah, I want to plant a bunch of these things. And then I want to put them, I want to brand them. I want to own them somehow and see mm. it as this growing thing. I'm really right, right, with all yeah. of these entities Now that becomes problematic and challenging. And can, there are limits to that. There's limits to whether you can do that, whether you even should do that. Um, but, you know, the, the, the microchurch as a concept is really just trusting that, like, when Jesus comes into the life of a person and, and they have his voice and scripture and good discipleship, that they're eventually going to, their heart is going to grow for some people. He's going to send them to those people, the gospel we share with those people. And the church can be formed then in the soil of that place, that mission, those people. And it can find its own voice. In fact, I've made the argument that a lot of a lot of like schisms and church division and stuff like that, which we have seen as a sign of our ineptitude and a sign of our sin, which it kind of is. I mean, I'm not denying that, you know, that that schisms and church splits and stuff aren't full of sin and stupidity sure. and brokenness. But again, take a step back. Right. And every time the church is sort of split what you see is contextualization what you see is like mm. it becomes a little more makes a little more sense to a certain group of people makes a little more sense to a certain group of people so kind of like you know uh paul paul and barnabas disagreeing about john mark and yeah and deciding to go on two different missionary journeys where barnabas takes john mark and he goes through you know he goes back through their hometown and then Paul goes north and he takes Silas. Yeah, so point. it opens up mission, you know, the little breakdown, which is not great. I get it. And to be a part of it is painful. And absolutely. Uh, but actually God is just fine <laughs> through all of that. And the church continues to be the church. So are these things scalable? You bet. In fact, there may not be anything more scalable in terms of what we do with church right now, as long as you'll let it be a kingdom thing, as long as it isn't, it has to be our thing or branded by our thing. So if you go plant a yeah. church and you say yes to people, some of them will stay loyal to you, to your little, uh, you know, shingle you hang out, but some of them won't. 
And if you die to that, if you'll say, I love that, I love that people just go off and start. Wow. Things, wow. Then, then you're going to be happy and the kingdom will grow around you. And that to me is a, probably a better uh, vision for the church anyway. Wow. Yeah. It's kind of like, well, it's not, but it reminded me of something that Paul said in uh, Philippians chapter one, where he's like, you know, even if even in some cases Christ is preached from envy, from strife, you know, like there's this there's this motivation that's wrong. But he says, I rejoice in the fact that Christ is preached, that the that the gospel is being preached. And so I think that if we could learn how to and this is coming from Paul, who's an overseer of of many different um, church communities. And he's a apostle and missionary as you're you know, as you're talking there in a, in a very, you know, kind of like the upper echelon of what that would look like traveling to the different cities, visiting the different churches, writing letters, instructing them, all of that. And he's like, you know what, I'm actually content in the fact that even if there's some things that are happening from a wrong motivation, that Christ is still being preached and he's finding a way to rejoice in that. And I think that that only comes from what you're saying there, being able to kind of loosely hold something that the Lord has given you to, to steward, right? Not to control, but to steward and to really allow him to be the head of the church, like who he is. He's the head of all of us, right? That's it. Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, none of us have ever done any ministry that wasn't a little bit messed up and bad motivations. And yeah. So this whole idea that like, oh yeah, those people left on bad terms. It's like, I mean, yeah, I, of course. Uh, right. And just like we, we, everything we do is messed up too, to some degree. Yeah. So we're broken and God uses that. It's just not, I, and again, I'm not saying that in a micro level, it's not a problem and they're not, it's not full of problems and full of things that, that require repentance. But what I'm saying is God mm. is strong enough and, and, and sovereign enough that when those things are happening, he's not, he's not losing his mind up there. He's not going, Oh no. The, the whole plan is now foiled by this schism that's happening in such and such church, you know, that, that mm. will spin <laughs> off. I mean, we, we've had loads of people leave yeah. the underground angry, you know, mad about something, frustrated about something, disagreeing about something, but there they are, you know, a few years later, still doing mission, still, still loving people, mm. reaching out to people. So to me, I'm like, who cares? I mean, that's awesome. Now, it, it still hurts to have yeah, broken yeah. relationships, sure, of course. Sure. But the church, sure. the church moves on. The the like true disciples will keep being at, like at the disposal of Jesus in the field of mission, even if they're frustrated and have to move on from a certain community into another community. That's all okay. And if we're more yeah. open-handed, we'll probably just be healthier anyway. Just let, let people do what they need to do, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Cause if I'm trying to build something in my own strength, right. And I'm trying to be in control of everything, then any growth that I receive, it then really becomes my responsibility to try to maintain that. And it becomes very stressful and people burn out. It's, you know, we, we do that to ourselves. We take on stress, I think in different ways than, than what God wants for us. And he wants us to remember that his yoke is easy. His burden is light. And so if he's called us into something, then he wants to he doesn't want us bogged down by the stress of trying to build the thing that he's called us to. 
recognizing that, you know what, this never belonged to me in the first place. This belongs to you. I'm going to listen. I'm going to be obedient and I'm going to steward well what you've given to me uh, to be a part of, to be a leader of or whatever. But ultimately, like the buck stops with him, not with me. And so I, I think what you're saying is so beautiful. We can really experience rest in everything that we do, whether we're talking about churches, businesses, whatever it is that God has called us to to build um, or to be a part of, then, yeah, we can find so much more peace and rest by allowing him to just do what he does so well. And we follow, you know, his leading. Amen. So. Well, brother, I want to be respectful of your time. So many more things I want to talk to you about, but uh, maybe we could do it again if you're if you're down for it. But uh, yeah. thank you for being here. And just before we wrap it up, man, if you would, uh, where would you point people to so that they can find your books and uh, any of anything else that you'd uh, like to, uh, yeah, resources? I'm pretty, like that. I'm pretty um, uh, underground these days, uh, but of course, you know, <laughs> Amazon is a great place to buy books, so there's all sure. my books are there and. Of course, I'd love for people to to be provoked by the stuff I've written, but I'm, you know, I'm I'm pretty sort of out of the out of the public eye these days. It's funny, maybe even just as a closing thought, Duke, as we as we just talked about all that control and leadership and power and whatever. It's like it was it Shakespeare, you know, heavy is the head that wears the crown. Mm. Like, I think we need more leaders. I think we need more churches. But we probably need to renegotiate what we mean by leadership and what leadership is yeah. so that it, it doesn't kill us you know it doesn't break us and yeah and that's probably part of my journey too is like i think a, a, a journey towards obscurity and towards quiet i still want to be busy and i still want to be fighting the devil and uh and i am but you know that that journey towards publicness and um being known and that kind of stuff is is probably something we have to um navigate very carefully um mm. and watch your soul and mm -hmm. uh, don't don't crave too much of it and, and power itself you know be careful so if we keep things small back to that idea it's it not only is it like possibly the best way to deliver the church to the world and the and the, the sacramental life that the church offers to the world but it probably is is like the most joyful way to live as a leader, you know, to be a part mm. of something that just lets go and stays small, stays obscure, you know. So, yeah, by all means, read read one of my books if you can. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but you probably won't find me, uh, although I am on social media occasionally and stuff like that. So I'm not not crazy. I tracked you down. You did. One you way did or another. <laughs> and I like and I like this. I like meeting you. I like I like the occasional conversation. So um, thank you. You know, thanks for inviting me. Yeah, yeah, my pleasure. Thanks again for your time, man. It's uh, again privileged to meet you and know you. And uh, thanks for sharing. You uh, added a tremendous amount of value to me personally, and uh, I've I've gleaned a lot from your from your writing, and uh, even probably more so from having an opportunity to chat with you a little bit today. So thanks so much. Thanks, dude. All right. Thanks, everybody. Come back for a future episode. Love you guys. See you next time.